Hey there, before we crack on with today's episode of High Performance, just a really quick thanks because we sold the pre-sale for the 2022 High Performance Tour in record time. Tickets went on sale on Wednesday morning and they sold out within minutes. But the good news is that from this morning, from 10 a.m., the tickets are on general sale. So if you want to come and see High Performance and some amazing guests and some inspiring moments in London, in Manchester, in Birmingham or in Edinburgh, right now, go to the highperformancepodcast.com, get your tickets and come and join us on tour in 2022. Thanks. This is High Performance, our gift to you for free every week. This podcast turns the lived experience of the planet's highest performers into your life lessons. So please, today, allow the greatest leaders, thinkers, sports stars, entrepreneurs and entertainers to be your teacher. Today, this incredible woman awaits you. My father said, look, you can quit or sulk or you can work that much harder and not just be the third or fourth best like you have to be the best and the best by a long shot for you to make the team next year and that's your choice Angela the fear of failure in some ways or the fear of showing up unprepared is terrifying and so I use that again as a little bit of fuel to say what can I do you're not going to be distracted by the Instagram you know, successes of others, you're going to say, no, I'm actually doing what I'm meant to be on this earth to do. And that's really hard work. That's where you grow. When someone can tell you what your blind spots are and you're open to hearing it, and then you improve your individual game, like that's a freaking gift. Mindset is so much part of being an elite athlete and being successful as an elite athlete. On paper, everyone's the same. Literally. Look at your size and your weight and your, well, how do people win when you literally on paper look the same? It's your mind. So today's guest is one of the greatest US sports people of all time, Angela Ruggiero, four times an Olympian. She medaled at every single Olympics at which she completed. She won gold in 1998, but she wasn't done there. Since then, she's gone on to graduate from the Harvard Business School. She was on the Apprentice USA, and not only that, she was offered a job by Donald Trump. Not only that, she turned down Donald Trump. She said no to the President of the United States. But thankfully, she said yes to us. And this episode is full of her life lessons, her learnings, her struggles and failures, her successes, her non-negotiables, the way she's done it. And she's so open. Angela was so keen to come on here and share with you. And how has she gone on from being a top-level athlete to being a co-founder, to being a CEO, to running a business, to hiring people, to inspiring people? This is a really brilliant episode with Angela Ruggiero today. You're going to get so much out of this. It's one of the great episodes of the High Performance Podcast. As always, High Performance wouldn't happen without our founding partners, Lotus Cars. Have you seen what Lotus shared this week? A cheeky little teaser on their social medias for their first ever SUV. It's codenamed the Type 132. It's going to be an all-electric SUV. We're expecting it to make its debut next year. And it's going to be special. Um, It's a really big moment for Lotus. They've never made an SUV before. The fact that it's fully electric means it's completely future-proofed. And although they haven't confirmed any more details, um, it is going to be special. It's going to be quick. And I think you're going to want one as well. Check out the teaser on their social media. Just follow at Lotus Cars. Love you, Lotus. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So today's guest was taught resilience at a young age when she was cut from a boys hockey team at nine despite having clear talents. Just six years later, though, she was absorbing a high-performance culture as part of Team USA. In 1998, she became an Olympic champion. She had an amazing sporting career, but the end of her sporting journey wasn't the end of her personal story. After studying for a master's, she took all of her learning into the business world as CEO and co-founder of Sports Innovation Lab. She has an amazing story to tell from the world of sport and business. She's a parent as well. So it's a real pleasure to welcome all the way from the United States. Thanks for making time for us, Angela Reguero. Angela, thank you for joining us on High Performance. Yeah, thank you for having me. Pleasure to be on. So we always start with the same question. Um, what do you consider to be high performance? And I guess for you, it's been a, a lifelong lesson in high performance of all different kinds. I love a good challenge. So I would say for me, high performance is wanting to attain perfection or greatness every single day, but being okay and cognizant that you never will. (laughs) So having that aspirational mindset, goal, growth mindset, drive, desire, but knowing that you're human, knowing that, you know, in a sport like ice hockey, you're never going to be perfect, you're, you, you know, but but getting excited over the little inches, the little micro changes you could make to improve your game each and every day. Um, so, yeah, high performance is is doing all of those things, but, but, but being human at the same time. <laughs> so what would you say to our listeners then who they love the, the, the effort and the and the passion and the drive and the commitment, but they struggle when it doesn't go right. How did you learn to accept yourself and accept things around you not being perfect when you're clearly such a driven individual? I thrive in that, to be honest, because I think you you learn so much more when you fall, when you fail, when you don't succeed. We tend to stop more when you're not winning, when you're not, you know, succeeding and if you do it right, you, you you pause and you reflect and say, what can I what can I have done better? Um, when you're winning, you tend to go on to the next thing and pat yourself on the back. And so I would say flipping the mindset to loving when you fail, loving when you fail, loving when you get cut from that boys team because it gives you that like chip on your shoulder and that motivation and drive. And it's where character is really revealed. It's where you can find the depth of who you are and what you want to achieve. And I'll just give, again, a hockey example. If you've ever seen a hockey player or a speed skater or anyone on, on ice, there's a point at which you actually fall when you're leaning. You think about a crossover. But unless you've literally pushed yourself to the absolute edge, you won't fall. And so people that go through you know, a hockey practice and don't fall the entire practice. Like, wow, you didn't really push yourself. Um, but if you fail multiple times and you you actually learn the depth of how you could push yourself, and then you take that into the game environment, wow, you're going to be that much faster, stronger, quicker. 
Um, but you know, it, it's, it's, so for me, honestly, it's just flipping the mindset of being okay to fall and actually thriving in those kinds of environments. If you pause and reflect and take something from those adversities. Which to adult ears, Angela, makes perfect sense. But how were you taught that as a child? You know, if we go back to that first instance where you were cut from the boys team, uh, how did you learn to process failure in such a healthy way? Well, my father was really helpful, actually. Uh, Definitely one of my mentors uh, growing up. And my brother made the team, by the way, which was my younger brother. I was like, ah, you get to go, man. (laughs) My father said, look, you can quit or sulk or you can work that much harder and not just be the third or fourth best like you have to be the best and the best by a long shot for you to make the team next year and that's your choice Angela like you don't have to play hockey and I said no I want to I want to you know I'm going to come back bigger stronger faster again he gave me a choice I think was the biggest thing and it's always the road less traveled you know what but everything in life to me is a decision and so when I do get cut or fail or get told no, I mean, I'm, I do sales every single day. I get told no all the time. <laughs> but then you get the yes. And wow, how much, how great does that feel? And, and so I think I just anticipate, you know, what am I going to take from this experience, whether I win, whether I lose, whether I get cut or, you know, make the team. But my father, I think, laid that groundwork as a, as a young person a, recognize everything in life is a choice so in that pause that moment where you have that choice and you can decide which path you're going to take what has been the most seminal moment that you can recall where you've taken a a path that's led to the biggest reward then I mean that that example it was the seminal moment I think of my life because I learned that you know life isn't going to be easy and you're going to get in this case it was something I couldn't control I got cut because of, you know, gender bias, but it's, again, how I chose to respond to that moment. And then as I got older, maybe it wasn't hockey. Maybe it was, um, you know, am I going to choose to apply to, a you know, Harvard and be okay if I don't get in? Or am I going to choose to start a company and be okay if it fails? Or, I'm you know, and every time I'm like, well, if I control the controllables, as my coach used to say, focus on the things that... I can improve on and work on, um, but be eyes wide open that, look, there is bias. There is, there are things you can't control, but take care of what's in your own house. You know, that for me, that was really, I think a big, again, learning point at a young age that I'm, I'm like, oh, it's the same pattern just applied in very different situations. I think there's going to be people listening to this, Angela, who are like, wow, I wish I had that mindset because you, you make chasing high performance kind of sound easy because you're cool with the failure and I think as soon as we become cool with the failure it it makes it a lot easier mm-hmm. so do you have fear are you still terrified when you're when you're chasing high performance and making big decisions and laying yourself on the line and you and you're wide open to criticism or oh absolutely I'm definitely what I've realized even in sports or business now the fear of failure in some ways or the fear of showing up unprepared is terrifying and so I use that, again, as a little bit of fuel to say, well, what can I do? Don't go into it without that preparation that's required. Don't just wing it, because then you're even more scared. And, <laughs> like, you know, um, when I played at the most elite level, you know, in the Olympics, people, oh, you must be so n- nervous, and there's billions of people watching and millions there, and you, your whole life is on the line, and... I'm like, yeah, but that's my domain. Like, I pr- 
practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. And so a lot of that um, intimidation goes away. Yes, you're definitely nervous, but I think fear is actually a really motivating force if you don't approach it as fear. If you approach it as something that gets you off your couch, <laughs> gets you to, you know, to do the thing that you need to do anyway, to actually be in the best possible position to succeed on that moment. Which sounds amazing, Angela, but then when I read your story about you were competing at such an elite level as an athlete and then you were also going to Harvard and studying, how did you manage that need to prepare so thoroughly with the demands of two really quite tough worlds that you inhabited? I always got the best grades in season, which is always bizarre. People are like, well, you had more on your plate in season. How's that? I said, well, you're then you're you're like time management 101. You are not wasting any time. I would fit in a literally a 15 minute nap every day because I knew that would help me get through the day. You know, you kind of cut the fat, I guess. You're not you're laser focused on how you spend your time and not kind of going through the motion. So trying to be a student athlete and play at the top level and 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 do well on at both, which I was able to do. Like I it was all about how do you really take a step back and look at your calendar and look how you're spending every moment of your time and not prioritizing, I guess, at the end of the day. Is this going to help me in hockey or school and everything else? Um, So there were parties I didn't get to go to. You know, there's classes maybe I couldn't take on the side or extracurriculars. But that to me was the trade-off was I want to do well in these two specific things at this moment. So that internal question, that, that prioritization is a really fascinating area for a lot of people that listen to this, that Mm -hmm. we often struggle to prioritise effectively, whether it's as a parent or as a professional or in other areas of our personal life. So what were the kind of questions that you were asking yourself that made sure that your priorities were accurate? Well, I think it's just, what are your goals? What What do you want to achieve? And making those very clear. And your goals could be something like, I want to be a great parent and be there for my children or my child or my spouse you're when you when you know where you're headed what like what those goals are and in my case it was okay I want to win NCAA championship and I want to get straight A's you know I kind of set the set the bar high (laughs) then everything that goes into each and every day you have to think about is this going to help me achieve those because if it's not I could have spent more time shooting pucks or being in the gym or uh or reading another book um but instead, I'm doing something else. And so when I got to the end of the year, if I didn't achieve my goals, I could look back and say, well, Angela, you spent too much time hanging out or, you know, socializing or, or you know, learning a new instrument. Like there was a lot of things I, I didn't get to do as a kid or I didn't get to do in college, but I had my priorities and I knew like that's okay. And even now I'm trying to do everything. Um and like, I am not the elite athlete I once be, but I'm like, it's, I'm okay with that where I'm at. I have to be okay with not being perfect. Um, Cause I'm trying to prioritize, you know, my work and my family right now. So th- you've talked about the how explain the why, because people don't want to miss parties. They don't want to sacrifice the things that are fun. What was the reason? What was the driver? I think again, it starts with the what, like, what do you want to do with your life? And if you can get behind something that truly motivates you, truly inspires you to the fact that you'll get up at four in the morning, go to a cold rink when everyone else is sleeping, then it's not work, it's play. It's something you're actively choosing to spend your life doing. Then when you have to say no to those, you know, parties or 
things that would, you know, otherwise be fun. Uh, <laughs> you're finding joy in the thing you're doing. And you're not going, you're not always thinking, oh, grass is greener over there. Someone's having fun. You're not looking outward, you're looking inward. And so to me, it always starts with the what, like, what do you want to do with your one precious life? And being so happy you're doing those things versus so unhappy that you're not doing the other things um, that, you know, you might see on Instagram or, you know, all your friends are posting and, and you're like, no, I'm, I'm actively choosing to be in this seat in this moment with these people in this job, whatever that case may be. So did you have to learn that then? Because when you were first starting out um, and you were having to make sacrifices, it was probably okay because Instagram didn't exist. And so you didn't know if there was some amazing <laughs> party now, I'm sure. a couple of blocks away. But now we all live in a world where we make our decisions and then see other people. And what we see is their edited reality and it always looks perfect. So yeah. how did you learn to avoid the comparisons and avoid being negatively impacted by that because it's something we hear so often from listeners of this podcast is that they feel they're doing the right thing until they look at other people's lives on social media and, and it really can derail them at times. I think for me, it's always been, again, back to like your goals. Like, who are you? What's your true authentic self? What are you, being a little girl in Southern California, showing up to career day in her hockey gear, for me, it's again, recognizing like, like, who do you authentically want to be? And if you are like a musician and you play a hundred hours a, you know, a week or, and you just love it. Like if you can like get above yourself in some ways and see that and say, wow, I'm really spending the time in the things that I love to do versus what everyone else tells you you should be doing. And I've had that so many times in my life where people project what they think I should do, what, where I, you know, when I retired, as an example, from hockey, everyone's like, you should coach, you should commentate, you should, you should, should, should. And I'm like, you, you don't know me. You don't know what I care about. You know what my passions are. You, you, you just see externally that I'm a hockey player. Um, and they're all, every, the advice I got was always obviously kind hearted, but it's who actually knows who you are. You know who you are. And so again, I always tether back to like, if you find your passion and you set those goals, and you live your life aligned with those kinds of things, then it's definitely hard. Like high performance is friggin' hard. It's a lot of work, but you're going to find the joy and the fun and the process versus the outcome. You're going to, you're not going to be distracted by the Instagram, you know, successes of others. You're going to say, no, I'm actually doing what I'm meant to be on this earth to do. And that's really hard work. I've been lost countless times in my life. And I always, when I was able to take a step back and then come back in, and find myself, I'm like, wow, this is exactly where I need to be. How did you know you were lost in those in those situations? How did you Because your you your head just like explodes and you're unhappy and you, you feel like you're in a rut and you're you're out of tune. You're you're not in flow. You're just like every day seems hard. And 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 then I'm like, well, what am I doing with my life at this moment? Is this what I should be doing? Should I stop playing hockey? Or if I'm in a career, should I rethink my career or am I or am I just approaching this the wrong way so everyone knows when they're doing something totally misaligned with who they are those are the moments where instead of you know binge watching Netflix or going on a vacation and drinking a lot or just like checking out like no that's where the hard work kind of starts like I would say go get a journal read some listen to podcasts be reflective self-reflective and then you could almost like reposition your your life yourself and it doesn't mean 
moving or breaking up or like re- changing everything. It's just like, let's real, like take us, take a hot second to realign. <laughs> so they're very much individual reflections, Angela. Would you describe to us when you found your tribe, you know, when you became a member of a team, can you describe the experience of what that was like of being around people that had the same aspirations of you of going for gold and being exceptional? I mean, hockey in general, which is I love, I want all kids to play team sports. Why? Life is a team sport. So if we can learn about... Love that. I'm writing that down. It is, though. That's why he's playing team sports. You learn how to, you know, set goals and and stretch goals and le- work with others and work through adversity and fall and fail and win and be told what to do and be on time. And like, literally, if you think about everything you do in life, like, you get these micro lessons in sports. And um, in my hockey team, I had so many amazing like big sisters on that gold medal team that taught me how to push myself and train and eat better and, you know, visualize and all these like amazing elements and, and check your ego at the door. Wow, what a great lesson for me as an 18 year old to say like, okay, check your ego, Angela. Like we're, we're all great. We're all Olympians, we're all amazing. And did that actually happen? Was that a conversation that happened? It, no, it wasn't a conversation. It was, I literally saw people's actions. I saw the backup goalie supporting the starting goalie. I saw the first liner get demoted to the second line and be super positive and happy in the locker room. I saw complete trust in the coach to the point where I got yanked from the power play right before the Olympics started. And I, and I had learned through this kind of behavior of my teammates, I'm like, oh, great coach, put 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 Sandra in. She's going to crush it. I got her back. And I genuinely felt supportive of her. And I learned that from my teammates. And by the way, we won a gold medal. Let me just pick up on that one point. Did you do the thing you felt you had to do because that's what that team did? Or had you managed to learn that genuine feeling because I think that's really important for people to understand that if you operate in a certain environment it genuinely can change you as a person it doesn't just change the way you act yeah we you all know okay yeah let the starter go out there and and don't sulk but to genuinely feel supportive of your teammate because you believe in the shared goal the shared mission you believe in the the structure the environment your your mindset's completely different you're not sitting on the bench, like hoping, wishing, you know, kind of, well, I hope she drops the puck on the blue line and I'll get the call next time, you know, with a smile on your face. You're like, I hope you crush it. Because guess what? If she crushes it and scores a point, which she did, by the way, in the Olympic, Sandra White was amazing, in my position, uh, <laughs> the, you win a gold medal. So who cares who freaking scores the point? Your team wins the gold medal. And again, um, but it is a very different mindset than being okay with not getting the promotion to to being like, okay, if we're going to collectively succeed and I'll get my shot, I got my shot again. I was the starting power play D for a decade, at least after that. Um, I got my shot, you know, but at that moment in time, it wasn't my shot. And that's, and I was, I was genuinely okay with it. It was a really great lesson as an 18 year old. See, but you've got a really fascinating perspective, having been part of teams that won those gold medals where you described that selfless mindset of checking your ego at the door, whilst also being a member of teams that have won silver medals and bronze medals as well. So was there a difference between that gold medal winning team and those others that fell slightly short? And if so, what was it? The following Olympics, we were the best team in the world, 
by far. 33-0 and heading into the gold medal game. Like, probably the best team I ever played on. But we lost in the final. And when pressure hit, when you had to look to your left and your right and to each other, we didn't. We looked, I think we looked internal. Everyone wanted to score the game winner. Everyone wanted more of the glory. It was not, in my opinion, a team. It was a collection of individuals playing as a team. Very, very different. Even the best teams in the world, again, when crisis hits, can can crumble if they don't have that that core structure. And some of the worst teams in the world, which I've also played on, we won the world championships in 2008. We had no business doing that. We were a bunch of rookies, no business. And we convinced ourselves and acted very aligned and willing to do anything, checked our egos all the above, and we were successful. And so I've seen the power of teamwork and the power of your mind set collectively and how that can make or break you. So yeah, I've had the experience on both sides and it's devastating when you should win on paper and you fail because of things you could control, which is like, are we going to work together? Are we going to genuinely be a collective or are we going to be a collective of individuals? So tell us then about what our listeners, if they're working in an office and they might sense that there's that kind of selfish, ego-driven behaviour or in, or you're in a classroom as a child and this yeah. kind of behaviour is stopping you achieving your targets. What could somebody do that they could control that starts to bring them more along the axis of that gold medal winning mindset that, uh, that you experienced? Well, I think a lot of it starts at the top, having the right culture, you know, a culture in that you, you know, you value, um, you need to have trust, I think, within the organization, within whatever team you're on. Um, Because then that, you know, when someone calls me out for being late, I don't get defensive, I don't get upset at them. They have my back, They, they actually just want the team to succeed. And they're reminding me of the rules and the you know, what the expectations are. Um, when, you know, and when they pat me on the back, I know it's genuine. I know they actually really appreciate what I contributed on that day. So that's the hard part. You can start with yourself. Like, what can you control? Again, control the controllables. Are you showing up on time? Are you coming to work with a positive attitude? Are you doing all that you can to contribute? And if you're not doing that, don't point fingers. I mean, there's a tendency, again, I had this a lot, you know, oh, so-and-so's late or so-and-so's not. So first start with yourself. But then, you know, if your leadership team is providing that, that kind of culture where you genuinely trust one another and you genuinely want the group to succeed, be open to criticism, be open to those harder conversations. Because again, that's where like, that's where you grow. When someone can tell you what your blind spots are and you're open to hearing it, and then you improve your individual game, like that's a freaking gift. And so if you don't have that kind of culture internally, it's really hard sometimes. People get defensive. I get defensive. You know, Joe Schmo tells you what to do. You're like, I don't trust you. What are you talking about? But if someone that you know really cares about you tells you the same exact thing, your response is probably a little bit different. So tell us then, what's one piece of feedback you've had within that environment that had the longest lasting impact? I was I wasn't gifted athlete. Like I know I had a lot of like the raw talents, but um, when you're doing well, even if you're at the top of your game, and someone criticizes something, you know, I I remember getting like I was defensive, um, 
but then being someone that took a step back, I think at some point, and recognized a lot of the inputs I was getting would actually take my game to the next level. And I remember I was, I don't know, I was in my mid-20s maybe, and I had a lot of success on the ice already, a gold, a silver, I was top defenseman, blah, 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 blah. But then recognizing my game was, could be so much better. And in order to do that, I had to, you think Tiger Woods, he literally reinvented his swing at the top of his game. People are like, what? Why would you do that? You're winning. And I remember having teammates or discussions or coaches just help me see, wow, Angela, you could you could be so much better if you changed your diet. You'd be so much better if you tried this type of training in the locker room. You'd be so much better if you did this. And I thought, oh, I'm doing well. And then I realized, oh my God, there's so many inches around me that I'm leaving on the table because I'm not open to that kind of feedback at that point in my career. And when I took a step back and found joy in competing, I like, again, relished in those that kind of feedback, criticism, whatever you want to call it. I was like, oh, okay. Even if it's bad, I, it helped me reevaluate what I was doing. And I could come back to the, exactly the same thing I was doing, but it forced me to like, take a introspective look at that one specific element of my game and net net like either neutral or positive. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I need to talk to you about visualization. We've all heard the quote, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably right. It's one of my right. favorites. Mm. Is it? Well, I, I say that all the time, Jake, all the time. Brilliant. Well, because I said exactly Henry that Ford. to my, yes, to my uh, daughter today. She's only, she's eight years old, but you'll like this. We don't really play ice hockey over here in the UK and don't have many rinks and things, but we do play hockey and she has her first ever hockey match at her new Love school it. today. So we woke up this morning to a very nervous Florence and she was all quiet, <laughs> didn't eat any breakfast at all. I said, are you okay? <laughs> so it was, what if I score in the wrong goal? She's, it's, she's never played the game before and she's in the school team. What if I score in the wrong goal? was the first one. And then the second one was, what if I miss the ball? Aww. And so I had to have a conversation with her about what's the what a waste of energy it is imagining the bad stuff. And she's yeah. written a story in her head effectively about bad things and then is choosing mm. to believe it. Yeah, Trying to encourage her to write a good story and then believe that. I, I would love to, particularly as you like that quote, who would have thought that, that you obviously relate to that because you love that quote. So let's talk about visualization and self-belief and the link between that and achieving success. It literally is like, I think my, one of my favorite quotes. Why? You literally defeat yourself out of the gates if you think you can't. In the 2005 World Championships, I was the third shooter in the shootout. Tied game, 0-0, we're playing Canada. We'd never won before. And I remember lining up in my head, all I was thinking about is where I'm going to score. Like this puck's going in, just where I want to put it. End up scoring, game winning goal, first ever world championship celebration positive mindset fast forward a year we're in the 2006 olympics same th we're in the semi-final game against sweden we're in overtime no score we go to a shootout i'm the third shootout what's going through my head i line up 
oh my god oh my god oh my god i gotta score i gotta score i got it just like it just it my mindset was different i missed i hit the crossbar i got a second attempt because the goalie left early oh my god oh my god oh my god what am i gonna do i gotta do this i gotta score and it wasn't that like natural flow i wasn't like thinking i'm gonna score and i missed and and that's just like one micro moment you know kind of two very similar situations um but as a 12 year old i told myself i'm gonna play in the olympics one day people thought i was crazy but if i didn't have that aspirational if i wasn't giving myself that positive feedback every single day um never would have happened so i always tell kids like dream big reach you know for the stars and adults too like set goals set stretch goals because even if you don't get there you're going to get close to it mindset is so much part of being an elite athlete and being successful as an elite athlete on paper everyone's the same literally look at your size and your weight and your well how do people win when you literally on paper look the same it's your mind and that quote is why I think the biggest differentiator between successful elite athletes and and ones that that fail you, you it's all in your head so what do you do now then when those negative thoughts creep up do you have a technique for that it's process not outcome if you every single day practice for that shootout goal as an example or that moment when you get there you've done it a million times you've prepared a million times my father as a kid used to say angela every time you step on the ice um pretend there's a scout in the stands what do you mean dad he said pick pick a parent just pick someone in the stands like pretend they got a clipboard and they're gonna they're picking you know they, they're evaluating you for the olympic team and okay dad so i go out on the ice i'd pick some random mom or dad and i would hustle that whole practice i was first in line last in line try to hit everything on net like literally the whole practice had intent and purpose and one you got a lot more out of every single practice because you weren't going through the motions and god you're it's like having two practices in one if you have intent and two when i actually got to that tryout with the scout with the you know the clipboard i've done this a million times i'm good in your daily life again it's all about process create little head games like this that when you're ready for that big presentation you're ready for that big you know interview you've done it a million times you've manufactured it and um and you should have fun along the way. I think at the end of the day, I'll just, your, your daughter, you got to have fun. Like performance yeah. is hard. Doing things great is hard. Um, so again, if you can have fun along the way, really be aligned to what you care about, you're going to do it longer. I played longer than any other man or woman in a USA hockey jersey because I was having fun. And I wanted to quit at times. I told you guys my experience. I wanted to quit a bunch of times. But every time I, I thought about it, I'm like, I actually really like hockey. <laughs> Why would I quit? Why would I just need a break or something? <laughs> Angela, so can I take that theme then of doing things that you really love doing and ask you if we can sort of pivot to a later part of your career where you were famously on The Apprentice with, oh, uh, <laughs> uh, with the Donald as your yeah. boss who offered you a job. I'm interested in who would you say is the best coach or leader that you've played for or worked for and why that's the case? I'll touch on the first part of the Donald. Um, I didn't take the job because it wasn't, it wasn't aligned to who I was. It was like a very different opportunity. And everyone and their mother said, take the job. This is pretty. So what was the job? Anything I wanted. 
I was tight. I was. Uh, Did he tell you why he was so keen to offer you a job? Well, I spent a summer on that show, and I got to know the kids, and I actually went to school with Ivanka, and I, you know, it was sort of like, be one of us. And I, and I looked at that, and I said, that's not who. You know, it was very tempting because who doesn't want to make a ton of money? And at that time, you know, there were no politics on the table. It was here's the landscape what do you want to do and i i had one more olympics in me and you know i wasn't making a boatload of money women you know women's hockey players don't make a ton olympians uh, in general so you should always support your local olympic movement (laughs) (laughs) um but everyone i knew said go go take the job i and in my head i'm like i'd be selling out i'd be sort of just misaligning again to who I genuinely am and then I'd be doing it for the wrong reasons and then I, at some point I'd be unhappy and um and I kind of just like played that out of my head versus no I'm gonna move to freaking cold Minnesota and play hockey for two more years and try to get a gold medal another gold medal um it was hot ho- that was hard um and you know take a measly paycheck versus you know what I could but in the end it was exactly what i should have done with my life Mm. and people can look back and be like oh wow angela you know no one knows those little details of those struggles um but you know having good mentors i think to your your question i mean like there's who who can you lean on that really has your best interests knows who you are is going to help you direct you in the ways that align to you know the things that are make you successful even if it's not money even if it's not fame or fortune or all the things that you know on paper we we all want um, doing something that's uniquely you. I think at the end of the day is what makes people the most happy. So I was happy. I, I happy now. Obviously, <laughs> I dodged a bullet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I love that because it's that old saying, isn't it? That a principle isn't really a principle until it costs you money, and that's a really good example where asking yourself those questions about your own alignment and who you are suddenly makes that decision easier. Would you find e- equilibrium again? This incongruence, like find what you genuinely would get up at four in the morning. People say, why did you wear so successful in hockey? Because I loved it. It was who I was. No one told me to be a hockey player. You know, my family encouraged me, as I said, but on paper, it doesn't make any sense as a young girl in California. But yeah, the the and the same thing, like going and working in real estate in New York at the time just wasn't the thing that was going to get me up at, at four. Look, a paycheck might, but long-term... I knew that would probably not be the best long-term fit for me. So, but that's hard to do. I mean, we all have lives and expenses and kids and families. And sometimes you just, I'll take one for the team and go take that job. And we all have to make trade-offs in life. And there's a time and a place where you need that. You're saving for your kid's education or whatever the case may be. But, um, but, you know, the more, again, you could maybe find joy in your extracurriculars or find joy in your, your family or your children or other things that really, again, give you tune your body back to who you are, I guess. Um, Find those activities and do more of them. (laughs) I can see on the wall behind you while we're talking, for those that are listening to this as a podcast, can't see it. For those of you watching on YouTube, you'll see it. Are they Olympic torches? Those are, yeah. I got a bunch of them. Wow. I just want to talk to you very briefly then about reflecting on success and driving yourself forward do you spend time thinking yeah you did really well Angela what an amazing hockey career congratulations you can take your foot off the gas 
or are you are you more driven now than ever before to make sure that the next chapter of your your own personal story is the best one yet? I'm the latter for sure. Sometimes I forget I played hockey, honestly. Um, <laughs> Truly. Yeah, I've always been fearful of being that person that just talks about what I did versus what I'm going to do. My, I have some posters on the wall for my boys and they're like, mama, mama, hockey. And, you know, they're, they're younger. Um, and, but I've been so out of the game, so removed. I've, I'm trying to, in some ways, reinvent myself in this sports media and tech space. My company, you know, Sports Innovation Lab, we're using data to provide strategy to the whole sports ecosystem. And I am building a company for the first time. I'm, you know, doing big things in terms of uh, creating more inclusivity within sports, using data to inform better business practices, better fan engagement. I mean, I'm, my business itself is like, there's no competitor. We're doing something no one's done before at Sports Innovation Lab. And I'm doing a ton to help women's sports in particular, because I was obviously a female athlete. And I don't think enough investment goes into women's sports because of the bias that exists. So I'm like, hey, if I can bring more data, maybe some of the you know, the bias I experienced as a nine-year-old won't exist here. So so I'm always on to the next thing. I'm always like, and that's so exciting to me because I'm I'm kind of a rookie. How do you build a company? I don't know. Let me figure it out. How do I build this new product? How do I figure out my customers? How do I figure out how to sell? How do I do all these things that, you know, I've never done before? And it's and it's actually very motivating and it's hard. I'm not gonna lie, but um but it's fun too. Again, I find try to find joy in the experience and that oh, I'm becoming an expert now in this new thing versus oh, I was I was had a really good slap shot. That's kind of useless now. No, who cares if you had a good slap shot? Yeah. <laughs> this mindset that you've described really powerfully and really quite movingly over this interview, Angela. How do you recruit people that have got a similar mindset now into your business? Because you've moved from being a player to almost a head coach. So can you give us any tips for any listeners on how you recruit people into your world that share the same view as you? Just, you know, athletes are great. I love athletes. They have the, all the great foundation. They don't maybe have the skill yet. You have to teach them the skill, but that's almost easier than teaching them these like values is the way I think about it. You have to be totally aligned to my mission, totally aligned to how we operate and our kind of core values and be a team player, check your ego at the door, help one another out, but stay in your swim lane and do your job. You know, I'm going to be hard on you because that's, I think that's what pushes people. But we're, but we're a team at the end of the day, like you're going to lift me, I'm going to lift you. And, and, you know, I try to find people that that thrive in those kinds of, you know, high performance environments, want to have fun and enjoy each other along the way. But, um, but want to achieve great things, not just check in and check out and see this as a job. See, this is, you know, you spend more time at work than you do at home, most <laughs> most of us. Someone that's like pumped to show up to work and and get better every day. Because the boss can't micromanage, you know, that, that scout in the stands. Like, find people that are self-motivated. And, and for me, we have a great culture at my company and, and you know, people love it there and are working hard. And, and you know, you don't have to have lots of rules and regulations, in my opinion, if you can find that that kind of talent. So it's not for everyone. I mean, I'm, I want to do great things. So I want people that have that same kind of big aspirational um, needs as well. Um, but, 
Um, I just try to make it fun too at the end of the day because we're if you can believe in what you're trying to achieve, even if, even if you never get there, um, you find a little bit of joy every day in what you do. And you said quite a few times in this conversation, check your ego at the door. Before we move on to our final quickfire questions at the end of the interview, I just want to talk to you very, very quickly about being vulnerable. And, you know, you said at the start of this interview that it is terrifying, it is scary trying to be a high performance person, taking risks and things. So what do you do to ensure that your business and your workplace and the people around you can be vulnerable and can accept and admit to their fears? It's one of the hardest things to do in life is like think of other people over yourself um, or have empathy at work. Empathy is like such an amazing emotion that we don't value enough, I think, in society. If you can trust each other, you can push each other. And then if you trust each other, you're willing to check your ego at the door. And how do you develop that trust? You have empathy. You, you, You genuinely care for one another. How do you genuinely care for one another? You listen. You're emotionally open to people's needs. So I think, again, that being aware of what people are going, you need a week off, great, take the week off, come back recharged. It's a hard thing to do. It takes a lot of time. Even in today's environment, I'm hiring people all the time that I've never met in person. How do you build that culture? How do you deepen your relationships when we're all on freaking Zoom all day? It's horrible. Um, But I'm cognizant of it. Like, how do we build some an environment where someone could call me out and be like, hey, boss, you didn't do the thing you said you're supposed to do. And I'm genuinely okay with that. I'm working on that every single day. Um, We always will, you know, we always will be. So I think I would just leave it with like, have empathy uh, and, and be aware of like, pointing the finger is so easy to do. And we all do it. But point it to yourself like first and foremost control yourself control the controllables and yeah good things will happen love that i'll just throw you a bill bullard quote while we talk about empathy um and he says that opinion is the lowest form of human knowledge because it requires no accountability no understanding the highest form of knowledge is empathy for it requires us to suspend our egos and live in another's world it's good isn't it yeah it's amazing we all think we have to have an opinion. We don't. We just have to understand people alongside us. Mm-hmm. Um, right, Angela, quick fire questions. We start with this one. Your three non-negotiable behaviors that you and the people around you have to buy into. Well, we just said empathy. I have to rip that again because I think it's important. <laughs> yep. um, there's something about grit or like pushing through to results. Like just don't take no, keep going. You know, this kind of like grit, I guess, is the end of the day. Um, so you care about others, you have grit and positive mindset that goes so far, both internally and externally, like bring a good attitude to to everything that you're doing. If if people had those three, I'd be like, yes. (laughs) If you could go back to one moment of your life, what would it be and why? Winning a gold medal is pretty fun. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Uh, There's some positive moments like that in my hockey career. So you'd go to a good moment. And not a bad moment. No, bad moments are horrible. But again, like, they create you, they build you. Um, I don't want to relive that again. I'm glad, you know, maybe I would learn more from them. I tend to look forward, I think, as I said, all the time, not back. So it's a really interesting question. I don't know. Would I want to feel the pain and do something better or remember how great it was at that one point? (laughs) 
I'd probably go to a good moment. I don't know. Just like remember when your family was around at Christmas and they were all together. You know, something like that is probably where, where I would, I'd want to go back to. I like that answer. How important is legacy to you? Legacy is important to me, but for me, it's more of like a network effect. If I could leave a legacy that gets people to do more, that's the kind of legacy I want to have. Not like what did Angela do, but what did she do that inspired me to do X, Y, and Z? That's the kind of legacy I want. And I I was able to have, I guess, a brief you know, in my hockey career to see the legacy I made as an athlete. And that was so amazing to see all the young girls that came after me and boys that never seen like female role models or athletes. Like that was really cool to see in that like short career. And now for me in like my professional career, um, yeah, like I want to make an impact, but the kind of impact I want to make is that others try to emulate my career and have a bigger effect as a result is there a book a podcast or a tv series that you'd recommend our listeners to absorb from a business perspective i'm obsessed with like harvard business review any of their books or their podcasts or their magazine i'm because i'm in the business world now so i'm always like dying for the latest literature and research around how to build a big company better company um better culture so that that's kind of top of mind for me right now um, in terms of what I'm listening to. I mean, I listen to a ton of stuff, but HBR is, is a good one. And your final answer to us, and this is really one to leave all our listeners and viewers with, Angela Reguero, your one golden rule to living a high-performance life. Whether you think you can or you can't, you're probably right. Just dream big. I say that to kids. Dream big. Try to do big things with your life. Don't limit yourself you you can only be a high performer if at first you have that dream. You, you're never going to even start on that path of perfection or performance if you don't start with something that's aspirational and crazy. And so, yeah, I would just say that that quote, that's that's the rule. Like, go go hard or go home. <laughs> go big. You can do it, though. People, people any common person no one there's no one that's better or worse again it always i think just starts with that dream and few at few times in our lives do we allow ourselves to dream except oh you're a kid you're allowed to like pretend you know i want to be an astronaut when i'm older no we can all dream now like do you want to start a local coffee shop do you want to you know help your child do x y and z it doesn't always have to be about yourself can you but i think the biggest limitation we always set is at ground zero, we don't dream big enough. And then we don't reach performance or perfection, whatever you want to call. Well, look, you had that dream at a young age. People thought you were crazy, but you demonstrated then and you demonstrated now the the power of dreaming big. And I think there's a few other things that you've also shown to us as well. It is a combination of dreaming big, but also really knowing yourself. And you said a few times, really knowing yourself is so important. And then understanding the grit and the hard work and the determination and the setbacks and the graft that goes with it so it's been a pleasure to sit here for the last hour and talk about your journey your lessons and i really hope it impacts other people for good yeah thank you thanks for having me it's a pleasure damien jake 
I think we both love the fact that she clearly makes decisions, right, that she believes in rather than, and she said it a few times, the decisions that other people thought that she should adopt, like, you know, working for Donald Trump, everyone's telling her to do it, but she knows not to. That only comes, though, when you really know yourself. And I think that that's the other key takeaway from that conversation with Angela, and she was brilliant, by the way, is you can't make the right decisions for yourself until you really know yourself. Yeah, definitely. It's like, there's an old quote from an American football coach, Jake, called Don Shula that says, if you don't stand for anything, you fall for everything. And it's almost like having this life of living a life on purpose, on congruence by knowing what your values are and what's, what your priorities are that she spoke about are really clear that it allows you to then make decisions that are right for you, not that are right for your parents or your friendship group or anybody else around you. You make decisions because they fit with your destination and the person you are. And it comes back to that conversation about external validation. And we live in a world, don't we, where we're constantly searching for it. Other people are constantly searching for it. It affects all of our mindsets. I kind of got the impression from Angela that external validation carries very little value for her. And I think that's a really powerful and quite a good place to be at in your life. Yeah, definitely. So again, even like the example maybe is different for anyone that, that is listening to this where hockey or ice hockey isn't a predominant sport, but being a young girl in Southern California turning up on career day with her ice hockey gear on, there won't have been many other young girls at that age doing it. But again, even at that early age of being really clear about what do I love? She kept speaking about finding joy in doing these activities, which again, come back through living this life on purpose. And you can only do that by answering those questions with yourself, not by going out there and looking for validation from external sources. And I often have a fear when we when we record these podcasts that someone like Angela comes on and talks with such clarity about being in such a great space. I don't want it to leave our audience thinking, well, it's all right for some, you know, she's really sorted and I'm really not sorted. I think the key thing to take away from this is that at a really young age, at nine years old, she's given a massive blow which is you're no longer part of the team purely because she was a girl. And then, you know, she spoke about those big moments of failure in her ice hockey career. And then she had moments of failure in her business career. And she said at the beginning, I get told no every single day. But the one thing that has always been there as a constant is her self-talk, her visualisation, that belief that she can do anything, as she said a few times. And I, and I think what's really important about that is that every single person listening to this episode of High Performance can improve the way they talk to themselves thereby they improve their mindset thereby their behaviors follow therefore they can impact the team around them and the whole thing is a brilliant positive snowball yeah absolutely it reminded me there was a brilliant study years ago where a psychologist went and interviewed um, ice skaters and it was around looking at the kind of self-talk and what they found is the olympic ice skaters fell over just as many times as the amateurs but it was how they responded and what, how they spoke to themselves after they'd fallen over that was such a critical factor. They didn't see this as, as a reflection on them not being good enough. They just saw it as something that they needed to get slightly better at or tweak, but they didn't allow it to attack their own levels of self-esteem. And I think Angela gave us some really quite powerful messages around that, that anyone listening to this today can either use themselves or encourage the next generation behind us to start adopting it. Fail often, fail early, fail forwards, but understand successful people fail way more than anybody else. 
Well, Damien, it's been an interesting week in terms of feedback for high performance. Uh, it's fair to say that Sam Hewen has a lot of fans. <laughs> I know, yeah. They're really passionate fans as well, though, aren't they? The people that wanted to understand a bit about the man rather than just the actor and the roles that he plays. So, yeah, it's been lovely to receive that feedback. Yeah, it's been interesting, hasn't it, that pretty much to a person I can read a little bit now um, I will definitely watch some of the other interviews it was truly insightful questions I learned a lot about Sam Hewen and I learned a lot about myself said Lindsay who left us a message on YouTube where you can of course watch the videos as well as listen to them Marcella said what a great interview it moves away from the questions and commonplaces that are repeated and it allows us to actually get to know interesting aspects of Sam um, Jade who listened in Texas hi Jade she said excellent interview you drew Sam out in a way I haven't heard before interviews and Mary who also left us a message on YouTube said Mr. Hewn obviously sensed this welcoming atmosphere and responded in a relaxed and candid yet serious way and I learned more about Sam's approach to acting and I think in some ways the reactions to this interview I think it goes right back to the very heart of why we do high performance which is that everyone has a kind of um, preconceived opinion of our guests and this podcast is all about reminding you that there are more sides to someone and there's always something new to learn and that if we just ask different questions, we're going to get different answers. It's as simple as that. Exactly. I think it's about, well, first of all, it's a testimony to Sam that he came along and was prepared to be so open and candid. But also as well, I think it is, like you say, that there's always a person behind whatever the professional role that these people are doing, whether it's been Johnny Wilkinson being prepared to open up about more than being a rugby player, you know, um, John McAvoy being more than just a regarded as a high-level criminal. And I think Sam, rather than just being a Hollywood A-lister, finding out the person behind him, the years of struggle that he went through, is what really sort of leaves us with something that we can take away and apply to our own lives, wherever we are, whatever we're doing. And it's another reminder to me that when people say, oh, I, I, I've heard your podcast, but I don't like it because it's just people that are successful talking about their success. And, and I always say, well, you haven't really listened then, have you? Because if there's one thing that is repeated time and time again on this podcast, it is that successful people fail. They fail way more often than anybody else. But it's not the fact they fail, it's how they fail. They fail forwards. They take the learning from it. You know, every single person listening to this will have had a moment of failure what they might not have done is turn that moment of failure into a learning process or into one of the building blocks to move forwards. And it was clear from that chat with Sam that he's done exactly that. Yeah, I think, I think the hinterland of a lot of these guys that we speak to is always really fascinating. Like the years before success comes their way. So whether it's Sam describing the years working in a bar and trying to, um, and doubting his capacity to be an actor, that's the bit where you find out so much about the lessons that they're learning because that's where the real struggle leads to the greatest realisations. Very good. Look, Damien, thanks for your company as always, mate. I really enjoyed this episode with Angela. Wasn't she brilliant, by the way? Just amazing, yeah. An amazing woman that's doing some incredible things and also balancing that with being an amazing mother as well. So uh, it was a real privilege. So thanks for having me along again. Good man. Uh, we couldn't do it without you, as you know. We also couldn't do it without Finn Ryan from Rethink Audio. Couldn't do it without Will or Hannah or Eve, who all worked really hard to make the High Performance Podcast a success. Let me just remind you one last time that you can get tickets to our tour. They go on sale on Wednesday to members of the High Performance Circle. Then they go on general sale on Friday. So if you want to, right now, just go to thehighperformancepodcast.com and join the High Performance Circle and you'll get details of how you can be the very first people to buy tickets for our UK tour, 
which go on sale on Wednesday. We're going to Manchester, London, Edinburgh and Birmingham. And we can't wait to meet you all. We've got loads of great stuff lined up, so make sure you get involved. That's it from today's episode. Please remember, there is no secret. It is all there for you. Be your own biggest cheerleader. Make world-class basics your calling card because you deserve it. We'll see you next time. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.